0: Good evening. More name calling at the United Nations as fighting flares up in eastern Ukraine and President Biden says an invasion by Russia may be imminent. A judge orders former President Trump and his children to answer questions from Attorney General Tish James. And the crisis of the unhoused and mental illness intersect on the Lower East Side as America marks 80 years since FDR ordered Japanese Americans interned in concentration camps. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, February 17th, 2022. Shelling in Ukraine today renewed Western fears of an imminent Russian invasion as President Joe Biden said Moscow is preparing a pretext to justify a possible attack.
1: We have reason to believe
2: that they are engaged in a false flag operation. They have an excuse to go in. Every indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. my sense, this will happen within the next several days.
0: Early morning exchanges of fire between Kyiv's forces and pro-Russian separatists alarmed Western countries who say an incursion could come at any time. Russia wants security guarantees, including prohibiting Kyiv from ever joining NATO as the United States offers arms control and confidence building measures. Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov told the United Nations Security Council today that Russia had evidence of atrocities committed by Ukrainian forces battling separatists in Donbas.
3: There is an alley of angels, a memorial complex in Donetsk, to commemorate the children who died um, for, at the hands of um, Ukrainian military. Those who died at the children's beach in Zurgus on the 13th of August he was targeted by the Air Force of Ukraine. Twenty people died. Dozens were wounded.
0: As Secretary of State Anthony Blinken doubled down on accusations that Russia was planning the false flag attack. Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine, or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. We don't know exactly the form it will take. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia, the invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real attack using chemical weapons. Russia may describe this event as ethnic cleansing or a genocide, making a mockery of a concept that we in this chamber do not take lightly. And that's Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Meanwhile, Russia expelled Deputy Chief of Mission Bart Gorman from Moscow. A State Department spokesperson says Russian diplomats who have stayed longer than three years must now leave the United States. And in related news, Russian-backed rebels and Kyiv's forces traded accusations that each had fired across the ceasefire line in eastern Ukraine, while Ukrainian government forces denied accusations of having targeted separatist positions in the breakaway region of Donbas. The White House said today that Russia had added 7,000 troops to its presence at the Ukrainian border over the past 24 hours. As Russia's defense ministry released video, it said showed more units leaving the area near the border. Still, talks are continuing, Blinken said Washington was evaluating a Russian call for more talks. And it was 80 years ago on Saturday that President Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order authorizing the military to move more than 112,000 Japanese Americans into concentration camps, then called internment camps, for the duration of World War II. The reason was a claim that Japanese Americans couldn't be trusted, although 80,000 of the detainees were second-generation American citizens. Actor and activist George Takei was taken away with his family to such a camp when he was five years old. He describes the scene at his front door on the day two armed soldiers arrived. We saw two soldiers marching up our driveway, carrying rifles with shiny bayonets on them. They stomped up the porch and with their fists began pounding on the door. I, uh, the way I remember it, the whole house seemed to tremble. We were ordered out of our house. It is a picture that's burnt into my memory. George Takai. The camps were surrounded by barbed wire fences patrolled by armed guards who were instructed to shoot to kill anyone trying to leave. Several detainees were shot and others died of poor medical care. Most lost their homes and property as they were ordered to only take as much as they could carry to the camps. When they returned, they found many of the things left behind stolen. The executive director of the Asian American Federation is Joanne Yu. She tells WBAI recent violence against Asian Americans is a stark reminder of those camps.
4: Americans of Japanese descent got sent to concentration camps because they were deemed as something enemy of the country. Our community remembers this. You don't have to be Japanese-American to remember this. We know what is being done to our community, and we know that our community right now, we are in tremendous grief, and we are in danger. There isn't help available. I hope our leaders are not thinking that this issue is going to go away quietly because I think our community is beyond frustrated. We are Americans too, and you cannot make us invisible by slapping a label on us that fits whatever the political narrative is.
0: Joanne Yu is executive director of the Asian American Federation. We'll be hearing more from her later in the newscast. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan apologized for the internment of the Japanese and paid $1.6 billion in reparations. Closer to home, a New York judge ruled today that former U.S. President Donald Trump and two of his adult children must answer questions under oath in the state attorney general's civil probe into their family's company business. Justice Arthur Engoron of New York State in Manhattan ruled in favor of Attorney General Letitia James, who sought to enforce subpoenas to compel testimony by Trump, his son Donald Trump Jr., and his daughter Ivanka Trump. The attorney general spoke at the New York State Democratic Committee's nominating convention today.
3: Linda Perry reports. While various elected and former elected officials spoke at the nominating convention, one of the most far-reaching speeches defending the rule of law was from New York State Attorney General Tish James. In accepting her party's nomination, she says it's an honor of the women who came before her, like Shirley Chisholm and Geraldine Ferraro.
5: They were leaders of ability and talent and grit, yet they were told no woman need apply. So in honor of the sacrifices and accomplishments of these and other groundbreaking women, I say with pride, conviction, and clarity of purpose, I accept
3: the nomination
5: of the Democratic Party as your candidate for Attorney General of the great state of New York.
3: Kish James says no one could have imagined how the last four years would have tested the soul of the nation. A disturbing and divisive period for our country, but it's also been a defining moment.
5: When COVID struck and our seniors were dying in nursing homes, I stood up and fought for them. My office investigated and found that the state's Department of Health undercounted COVID-19 deaths nursing homes failed to comply with infection control protocols and worst of all, they lied about it. When opioids tore through our communities, ruining families and taking lives of New Yorkers I fought for them. We sued Big Farmer and taking on the companies behind the destruction and recently, I was able to announce that we're delivering as much as $1.7 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars. And that money, that money is going to communities all throughout New York, all 62 counties. And although money cannot account for the loss of these lives, thanks to our work with the New York State Legislature, these funds will be used to save lives today, and tomorrow. And as New Yorkers have been plagued by the scourge of gun violence, we have stepped up to act where others have not. Last year alone, my office took close to 3,000 guns off the streets and communities across the state through our gun buyback programs. And when the former president sought to expand access to dangerous ghost guns, My office led the charge with other Democratic AGs to crack down on the spread of this untraceable and unregulated weapon of death. And in November, we were at the United States Supreme Court defending our state's rights to establish laws that protect our communities from gun violence. This is about protecting New Yorkers' lives,
3: my friends. In addition, Tish James points out how the AG's office countered Donald Trump and his followers with the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen by leading a coalition of attorneys general to fight voter suppression in conservative states and here at home. And she vows that her office will continue to defend the right to choose. New
5: York must be a safe harbor. And when women in New York State accuse the most powerful man in the state of harassing them. The evidence was clear and overwhelming. And these women shared their truth. They shared their vulnerability. And these were serious allegations that needed to be investigated vigorously and independently. And that is exactly what was done. I understand the importance of this investigation and the need to ensure impartiality. And that's why I chose a team of experienced lawyers from outside the attorney general's office to conduct a thorough and fair investigation. The investigation revealed a dangerous pattern of bullying and harassment by the former governor. It has become clear that the former governor will never accept any version of these events other than his own. And to achieve that, he is now claiming the mantle of victim and disgracefully attacking anyone in his path, pushing others down in order to prop himself up. But I will not bow. I will not break.
3: James says she's proud to stand with the report into the allegations against the former governor, Andrew Cuomo.
5: Because truth crushed to the ground will always rise again. Because truth, my friends, is a blindfolded woman, and she will prevail.
3: New York State Attorney General Tish James at the New York State Democratic Convention accepting their nomination for New York State Attorney General. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Back over to you now, Paul.
0: Thanks, Linda. And in the city, Mayor Eric Adams announced today that Zach Iskol, a former United States Marine and the founder of two nonprofits that serve military veterans and who is deputy director of the field hospital set up at the Javits Center at the height of the pandemic, will be the commissioner of New York City Emergency Management. Christina Farrell, a 19-year veteran of the agency who has acted as the interim commissioner for the first several weeks of Adams' administration, will step back to her last role as first Deputy Commissioner. Iskol's appointment comes weeks after the city saw the deadliest building fire in decades and as the Emergency Management Agency prepares new ways to respond to flash floods in the wake of Hurricane Ida that occurred in September. And you may remember yesterday, the WBAI News aired a report on the outrage and frustration within the Asian community over the death of 34-year-old Christina Yuna Lee, 35, um, who murdered was murdered in her apartment over the weekend by an apparently deranged, unhoused person. Her alleged murderer, Asamad Nash, 25, was reportedly living at the Bowery Mission just five blocks away. The event led to an angry protest by leaders of the Asian-American community who say they've had it with a spate of attacks against Asian people, especially since former President Trump targeted Asians as the origin of the COVID-19 virus. Asian-American Federation Director Joanne Yu says it's not just a young woman. But the older person coming home from work who's at risk.
4: Our biggest worry was actually what about all the people who have to go to work right people who are going to work in early in the morning people who are coming home late at night what about what about those folks how do we keep them safe how fearful they must be that's what we've been talking about the perfect case that illustrates this is the case of Dorothy Clark Rozier, right? She was a black woman who was coming, going to work at 5.30 in the morning, African-American woman, and she was killed by a mentally ill person who came and stabbed her from the back. And this is what I think about a lot. That story of Miss Clark Rozier was my nightmare. Somebody who has to go to work and ends up being killed. That is, her story also resonates with me tremendously.
0: Donald Trump you know, making those uh, slurs against Asian people and people of Chinese descent—is that what started this, or was going on before
4: that? There's always been uh, attacks in the community, right? But but the rise of just the the, the intensity of it that definitely gave permission for racists to attack Asian Americans to be able to say the China virus and blaming a community that what is happening in our in our country in the world. Some had to do with Asian-Americans, which made people forget this really is the story of how Asian-Americans are othered, that we are not seen as Americans. During all of this, when we started to see these graphic videos, I kept saying to media, I kept saying to everybody, we're Americans. We are experiencing exactly the same trauma you're experiencing. We are anxious. We're scared. We are terrified to leave our homes now because we're being attacked. We have to take all of these precautions, too. And for our community, in the beginning, it was really confusing because we're thinking, we're your neighbors. We're your, you know who we are. We live next door to you. Why would you be attacking us? Because we're going through this, too. But it also gave a lot of, a lot of unstable people lot of angry racist people the permission to attack Asian Americans.
0: It's a lot of things going on here but in this case the one that happened in, uh, in Chinatown it was a deranged unhoused person. What do we do about this?
4: I think we need to be honest with ourselves right? I think there's a lot of answers I think there are multiple approaches we need to have our leaders convene the experts around the table we need to talk about homelessness we need to talk about mentally ill, homeless people. We need to talk about some of the homeless policies and how the shelters are operated and the trauma that my community is suffering. Every single Asian American I'm talking to these days, it's a lot of people I'm talking to. People are texting me from all over the country saying, oh my goodness, I am terrified to leave my home. And I don't know how to even process what is happening because this is just too much to bear we are just beyond angry we are trying to process our grief we are trying to remember christina's family and the great grief that they must be going through just how hard this must be for them and every time we think about what their family is dealing with right now i think it just it triggers something in us over and over and over again and we you know this is Our entire community is crying right now. I don't expect Mayor Adams to know all the answers, but the answers are within the community with a lot of the the nonprofit organizations, a lot of experts on the ground who can say, this is what it is, this is what it is. There needs to be a short-term plan. There needs to be medium and long-term plans. We need to start to have conversations. We need to start to get around the table. We can never make this go away. We can't can't undo this. We cannot unsee this. But we can say we have a shared commitment to making sure that this never happens again. And If this is not that time, then when will we ever have that?
0: And that is Joanne Yu. She's Executive Director of the Asian American Federation. Earlier today, Mayor Eric Adams was asked about the killing of Christina Lee and the growing issue of unhoused people in the streets of New York.
1: I'm not sure if there was a real mental health uh, history with this gentleman that carried this crime. Uh, but we need to look at that, examine that. The goal we must always do is find out when you have an action like this, let's do a deep dive and say, where were the warning signs? What should we have looked for? How are we empowering those who are at the homeless shelters to also give us the warning signs? Do they have someone there that's exhibiting violent behavior so we can get inside the homeless shelters? identify the services that individuals need. That's the disconnect we have. At homeless shelters, people come in, they sleep for the evening, but if we see that they're exhibiting some dangerous behavior, are we reaching out proactively and saying, I have a person here that should receive some additional support, because maybe the place is not a homeless shelter, that person may need to be in one of our psychiatric facilities. Mayor Eric Adams. And
0: among the suggestions and demands coming from a traumatized community is the possible return to the mid-20th century practice of locking up people deemed mentally ill in psychiatric hospitals. That era ended in the 1970s when courts ruled it violated the civil rights of people who might just be different. Civil rights attorney Norman Siegel tells WBAI it doesn't have to be like that. He says the problems are courts and authorities who refuse to use the tools they've already been given as he uses the case of Asamad Nash as an example.
2: No one has made a point of it. When he was arrested in November, he was given supervised release, and then he didn't show up for his hearing. My view of bail is that it's all about assuring someone shows up. So if you don't show up and you have an uh, arrest warrant for not showing up, that should be a reason why you don't get bail. When he punched the guy in the face, according to the reports, they gave him supervised release again. It's a commentary on the system itself. If people would just apply it, it might work. They don't apply the standards. Imminent danger to oneself or others, what does that mean? you got to have some particularized, specific evidence that someone is a danger to themselves or others and not hearsay or remote speculation.
0: They want to go back to the days when people could be put into mental institutions against their will and then held. Can we go back to those days?
2: No. There are options to address some of the issues that are now percolating out there without going back to one floor of a cuckoo's nest. We have to make a distinction between voluntary commitment and involuntary commitment can cope on their own or are they a danger to themselves or others for example if a woman on her leg she has gangrene and she doesn't recognize it and you say look why don't we go to a hospital to deal with your medical condition your foot that's someone that's very clearly in my opinion meets the standard she's a danger to herself but you've got to be really careful about involuntarily committing people because there's a fundamental right of liberty and your freedom You can't just lower the standards so that we then get to the point where someone looks weird, sounds weird, isn't dressing properly. That can't be the standard for involuntary commitment.
0: Your faith that the mayor will, uh, despite his law and
2: order stances, will uh, make the right decisions here? I do have to disclose to you, Paul, and who's ever listening, that Eric Adams has been a longtime friend of mine. I also had represented him when the police department wanted to get rid of him. I defended him in that case back in 2006. We've held many, many press conferences together about racial uh, problems at the NYPD, police misconduct. I do have cautious optimism about Eric Adams as the mayor. I know that I and 10 other New Yorkers put together a report that we gave him last week uh, with 81 uh, social justice recommendations on the premise that you can't just have public safety. You have to have public safety and social justice. They go in tandem and that's the best way to achieve any kind of success in the city. I don't think he's a law and order person. I think he cares about safety and social justice, but as we've told him uh, more than once, that if he doesn't do the right thing, we know how to be very critical. I also know where the courts are. Anything like Dad? You're touching upon a, a subject that I think yeah. is an important one and it's just beginning. What happened to that woman in Chinatown, horrific. We've got to figure out ways to realistically ameliorate that kind of behavior and tragedies, but we shouldn't just knee jerk this stuff. You need some people who know how the system works how it should work i'm concerned about where this is all going to go in the next month or so
0: civil rights attorney
2: norman siegel one flew
0: over the cuckoo's nest is a book written by ken kesey about a rebellious inmate in a state mental hospital it was made into a movie starring jack nicholson And that's some of the news for Thursday, February 17th, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.